are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Sponsorship for Rootbound is provided by bees. Sure, you can pollinate via the wind, but where's the fun in that? Bees! They're not just for honey. for joining me on another episode of Rootbound. My name is Steve, and before we get started today, I thought it might be a good time to describe how the show works again, since we haven't done that in a while, and maybe there's new listeners here. So how Rootbound works is I invite a guest to come on the show, and they tell me about a plant that means something to them. Then I tell them about a plant that means something to me, and through this process, we all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. But before we get started on that part of the show, I wanted to talk about catkins. Do you know what a catkin is? I didn't, um, but the other day I was out in my garden and I was looking at uh, my young hazelnut bushes, and spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about hazelnuts today. I guess it's not really a spoiler because it's, it's in the show title, which you probably saw, but anyway, I was looking at my two American hazelnut bushes, and on one of them I noticed these these little dangly things hanging off a couple of the branches, and I was like, hmm, what are those? Um, so, and also, it was it was a uh, it was late winter, like early spring, and it's like it's weird to see something new appear on a on a plant that early in the in the year. And so I went and I googled, you know, dangly thing on hazelnut, and it turns out they are catkins. So what is a catkin? A catkin is a kind of male flower that has no petals, and it is designed to distribute pollen via the wind. So that vertical little dangly thing. Is, makes it really easy for the wind to pass through and to distribute the pollen via the wind. So um, plants that have catkins, sometimes there's plants that have only the male flowers and there'll be other female plants that have female flowers and the female flowers often look more like what you think of a flower, not like a catkin. Um, but some plants like hazelnut has both male flowers and female flowers. The male flowers are the catkins, the female flowers are these little tiny uh, you know, buds that look a little bit more like a normal flower. And, you know, the wind, you know, moves from the male flower to the female flower to pollinate it. And the reason why catkins come out so early in the year is because it's much easier to distribute pollen via the wind if the trees aren't covered in leaves. The, the leaves can actually get in the way of the pollen distribution. So that's interesting. Um, a lot of different plants have catkins. Just reading from Wikipedia here, hornbeam, alder, willow. A lot of trees have them. Uh, hickory... Uh, birch, and there's also some other, um, you know, smaller bushes and shrubs that have them, but hazelnut is one of them, and and speaking of hazelnut, let's just get right into our guest and hear more about the American hazelnut. Wind-pollinated plants must produce large quantities of pollen, since much of it is blown away and wasted. When a branch is jarred, or the wind strikes it, the pollen streams out like yellow smoke and drifts through the air. Hi, Aja, how are you doing? I am doing well, Steve. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you for joining me on Rootbound. I am so happy to be here. I really love your um, podcast. I'm a oh, podcast th- junkie, first of all, but I really love your podcast. Oh, thanks so, thanks so much. Do you, uh, do you have a plant to share today? 
I do. My plant is hazelnut. Oh, great. I was hoping you would say that because I, I've heard you talk about them before. So, Yeah, I really love the hazelnut. You know, when I first started thinking about how I wanted to live more sustainably, like my family, how we wanted to live more sustainably, I was thinking that I would like to plant something that would allow us, allow me to make milk and cheese and even flour. And I said, okay, the American hazelnut would be the perfect plant. First of all, it's native here and um, here as in Indiana. And so I felt like it was the perfect plant to grow. And so I got some smaller hazelnut trees and one of, they died. <laughs> so oh, I ended no. up having to buy I ended up having to buy more. So the whole point of me getting the hazelnut was, you know, to be more sustainable and not depend on buying almond milk and all of that other stuff from the grocery stores. Yeah, that's interesting. One one thing you, you mentioned a little bit ago is this American hazelnut, which I only learned this recently. Maybe the audience doesn't know. Most people we think of hazelnut, we think of a European tree, which that is, there is a European hazelnut. But we have one here on this continent too, and I feel like it doesn't get as much attention, which I don't I don't know why. So there's a movement to cross the American hazelnut with the European hazelnut because the Euro the American hazelnut is prone to disease. And so I think it's the USDA. I think they've reached out to certain farmers to see if they have the space to um, grow these plants, these hazelnut trees that are a combination of the European as well as the American. But yeah, the European hazelnut gets a lot of publicity and the american hazelnut is like hey look at me i'm over here yeah yeah i i did plant two hazelnuts in our yard about three years ago and and last year we got our we got one nut <laughs> it was the first year but i'm hoping maybe that's a sign that this year we'll have more i think my next challenge is going to be keeping the squirrels away <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's been my biggest concern, I suppose, because I have this dream of having all these hazelnuts, but then I have to compete with the squirrels. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to be very excited that they have hazelnuts. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Um, so have you, have you, um, I mean, I guess your, your trees aren't, aren't, uh, fruiting yet. I would, I guess. No. Do you know how about Not how long yet. until they're going to? They, these trees were very small and I just installed them and I am expecting them to probably fruit in three to five years. At least that's what the company that I bought it from said. Cool. Yeah. I, I think I'm hoping that I'm right in that, in that zone of mine. So I'll have to let you know this year if we get, we get more. And, but you, you have been, I've seen on, on your social media and things, you have been experimenting with various like nut milks and nut cheeses. Have you done that with American hazelnut before, like purchased or or even like other hazelnuts? Not yet. That is a goal of mine. I've been researching and trying to source the hazelnuts for a cheaper price than what I'm finding them for. But yeah, I do enjoy making milk. I actually made some um, cashew cheese today and I am going to be making some milk later on today because I'm making macaroni and cheese. But yeah, I would love to be able to just go and get the hazelnuts from somewhere that, you know, they're, they aren't expensive. That's why I think it's so important to grow our own. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I was, I, I think I did similar to you. I was really searching online. Can I find, is there any like farmers near me who are growing 
American hazelnuts. I live in Northern Virginia, and it's within the native range of American hazelnut. But nobody's growing them, from what I can tell, at least in my area. So, yeah, I think Oregon is where they grow a lot of them. Um, but that's there; they are pretty expensive. I think you're right there. Yeah, they are expensive, and I really want. I, I am going to find a way to get them. I don't want to wait three to five years to be able to make our own milk and cheese from our own hazelnuts. But I'm I am going to find a way to get them and um, work with it at least before ours grow. I think that'll be I think that'll be a good experiment. Yeah, yeah, you you want to like get learn how to do it before you uh, put all the effort into the ones that you grow, which are a bit more precious. Yeah. Um, do you have some other uh, fun facts or dazzling details about the American hazelnut? Yes, I do. Okay, so first of all, the hazelnut shell is being tested for use for biofuel. And you can get more, farmers can get more biofuel per acre in hazelnut than they can from corn. So I'm excited about that because if we can switch from monocrop corn and hopefully we won't be switching to monocrop hazelnuts, but you know how farm farming goes, agriculture goes, that might be where we're going. I'm excited about that. But also because maybe, just maybe, you know, people, there's a movement where people are doing their own diesel fuel. Maybe somebody can figure out how to do it um, on a smaller scale and we can get fuel from smaller farmers. I don't know. That's wishful thinking. But yeah, so the shells are used for for biofuel. Um, the bark, I also grow witch hazel. And so the hazelnut bark is very similar to the witch hazel bark where you can use the, the bark for um, a tea for an internal tea, as well as a poultice for the ex, like if you have a wound or a cut, just like, um, witch hazel. So a great plant to have around internally, externally for fuel. I mean, what can't this plant do? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I never thought about, uh, the bark and I don't know that much about which, which hazel, um, but I do, I do've got a little bit of a, of hazelnut. So, um, and it, and it's, my hazelnut's kind of like growing out. It's like very, it's more, I guess the American one is often more of a shrub than a tree. So I'm yeah, getting lots yeah. of little suckers coming out all, all along. So maybe if I, if I cut some of those back, I can, I can try experiment with the bark. Cause that's very interesting. I had not heard that before. You know, Steve, that's a good point because I like the fact that you brought up that it can grow as a shrub. So even people who are on smaller um, plots, like we literally live in the city, but our front yard, backyard, and side yards are all growing spaces. So we can have the hazelnut because like you said, it grows as a bush and it also can take partial shade. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that either. Um, yeah, I also live basically in the city where like, you know, a 10 minute walk from the metro and DC, DC metro and uh, and very small yard. So I was really excited about that. Oh, I can grow. I can grow a nut that doesn't need to be like a massive tree because a, a lot of the other, you know, native North American nuts like pecan or walnut, you know, those trees are huge. So I was like, what kind of nut can I grow in my yard? And hazelnut is, uh, seems to be the one. So hopefully... Yeah, hopefully we can actually get a yield of them. Well, you know, if you get five, if you get five nuts next year, maybe you can make a small cup of hazelnut milk. 
Oh yeah, I should try that. I haven't really gotten into doing nut milks that much yet, and I've always been want to experiment. And particularly some of the nut cheeses. I saw some of those pictures that you put on your Instagram, and they look really good. C- could you maybe just briefly talk about that process? I um, it's very fascinating to me. Steve, I am making a delicious cashew cheese today. It's very similar. It's very easy to make. All you need are some raw cashews and you soak them overnight and cashews already have a creamy texture. And that's why I want to experiment with the American hazelnut, because I want to know if I can get that same or similar creamy texture that I get from the cashews. So you soak the cashews overnight and then you take liquid from a ferment So I really like strong cheeses. So sometimes I will get the liquid from a kohlrabi ferment, or sometimes I'll get the liquid from a kimchi ferment. Um, Today I made um, cheese with the liquid from cha-cha, which is fermented just garden vegetables. And so you mix that in, in the blender with the cashews and you you know, give it a swirl, let it get nice and creamy. And then you're going to mix in some agar agar. I don't know if that's how to pronounce it, but you yeah, mix it. So. In. Okay. So you mix the flakes in with some warm water on the stove and you throw that mixture into the blender with the cashews and let it set. And there you have cashew cheese. That's it's so easy. Oh, cool. I'm going to have to try that. I have a, I have a friend who's like really into trying all these different nut milks and I just, I haven't tried it yet. So that that's going to be on my list, um, uh, for, for this year, uh, for sure. Um, yeah. Tastes so much better when you make it at home, especially the milk. It's so delicious when you make it at home. Yeah, that's, I should try that because, uh, I haven't been a huge fan of like nut milks from the store and I, I do have this weird, um, kind of like <laughs> personal uh vendetta against almond milk because i'm a beekeeper and the way that mm. bees are like shipped out to california for the almond harvest so that's my own little personal thing but there's other milks nut milks out there i think that don't have those issues and um and when you make it at home you can be more more uh you know discerning about uh where you source uh the nuts from so but Steve, that's a good point. Real quick, that's a good point. That's one of the reasons why I want to grow my own hazelnuts because I don't like the way almonds are farmed either. And you know, I'm using up the almonds that we already have here, but I want to switch over to other nuts because you are making an excellent point and cashews as well because I'm getting cashews shipped in from some tropical place. Yeah. So great points. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. Um, yeah, it's it's that's always that challenge uh, of of what's best, and if you can grow it, you know, then 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 you don't have to worry as much, and you know, it's hard to grow everything, but if you as much as you can is, and it's fun. I've been enjoying it a lot, um, trying to grow um, as much as I can in my little yard, and you know, don't not always succeeding, but um, but it, it's still it's still fun and very tasty when you do succeed. Sure is. Uh, do you have anything else to say about uh, hazelnut? I do not. I'm just okay. looking forward to having my hazelnuts grow and looking forward to making my own milks. Have so many dreams. Oh, and you can use the pulp to make cereal. Uh, yeah, so I use the pulp left over from my milk making and I make the cereal. So, look, 
if you if hazelnuts are um, native to your area, please grow some hazelnuts or grow whatever nut is native to your area. Because I'm telling you, if you have a nut tree, you can get so much in your homestead or your farm or your urban garden. Hazelnuts, oh hazelnuts, oh hazelnuts. Great. Well, well, thanks for sharing about hazelnut. Um, do you mind if I share a plant with you? Please. I can talk about plants all day, Steve. Oh, uh, great. So, you know, when I was trying, I'm always trying to pick a plant to share with my guests. I'm always trying to maybe find one that the guest doesn't really know much about, but this, I think it might be a challenge for you. So you might know everything about this plant already. I'm not sure, but because I've, I've heard your podcast and, uh, and, uh, and heard you speak on Clubhouse sometimes and you're very knowledgeable. Well, let's see. This is a plant that grows very abundantly in my lawn. And it's a plant that I've kind of like just overlooked, I think, for the past like three, four years that we've owned this house. And it's one of those things of like, why am I just been ignoring this plant? It is one of the most abundant ones in my yard. What's its deal? I kind of knew that it was edible, and I think I'd tried it before, maybe wasn't so crazy about it, and maybe that's why I just ignored it. But I decided to kind of take another look at it today. It has an interesting name. The name is a little bit sounds kind of like violent, <laughs> and it is uh, red dead nettle. Are you familiar, familiar with the red dead nettle? I am familiar with dead nettle, but red dead nettle, no. Sometimes it's called purple dead nettle as well, um, and it might be the same dead nettle you're thinking, because there are other dead nettles, but I think the red dead nettle or the purple dead nettle are the most common in North America. It is an, it is a um, introduced plant from Europe and Asia, so it's, it's not native here, but it is pretty uh, pro prolific across a lot of the United States, from what I understand. Um, and and th the first thing is, I've just been calling it dead nettle for years and never thought, like, why is it called dead nettle? It sounds kind of, like, morbid. Um, but strangely, it's dead in a good way, because I guess the name comes from the fact that it kind of looks like stinging nettle, but it doesn't sting, so it's dead, right? It's not, it doesn't sting like stinging nettle. That's why it's called dead nettle, and it comes, you know. So that's interesting. So it, it, it's not, the word dead is not, a, is not a scary use of dead at all. So that's, that's cool. Um, it's, its Latin name is Lamium purpureum. Um, I actually didn't look what that means. I think the second part means purple. <laughs> and then I also learned that in, in some places in Europe, I think particularly the UK, uh, they call it Archangel, which is an interesting name for, for a plant. And, and there's a, you know, there's purple Archangel, red Archangel, white Archangel, and yellow Archangel. And I was trying to figure out why they call it Archangel, and I couldn't quite get to that except... There was one reference saying that it blooms or the flowers come out around a holiday related to Archangel Michael, which I don't really know what date that was. Um, and then I found one reference in a book uh, by this guy named Nicholas Culpepper, who was a very famous uh, British botanist from like the 1600s. And he wrote a book called The Complete Herbal. Um, and it talks about all these herbal plants in, in the UK. And this is what he had to say about the name Archangel. He says, to put a gloss upon their practice, the physicians call an herb, which people vulgarly know, vulgar, vulgarly, that's a bad, hard word, let me say that again, which country people vulgarly know as the name dead nettle, Archangel. So he's saying that physicians call it Archangel. So 
that they can put a gloss upon their practice. So when they're like serving, physicians are serving it to their patients, they're not saying, here's a cup of, of, uh, of dead nettle. It sounds better to call it Archangel. <laughs> I don't know if that's true uh, or, or where it came from, but that's what he said. Um, so that's, that's the name, which, which was interesting. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it, if you're looking at it from a distance, you might mistake it for mint or catnip. Um, but it doesn't really have any of that, like, really uh, aromatic taste or, or, or flavor. Um, it is edible. The, the taste is much earthier than any of those other mint-like things. But it is in the mint family. It has the same kind of square stem that mint has. Um, and it has these little tiny purple tubular flowers that, if you look up close, are quite pretty. They kind of look like a, like a, a little upside-down jar. And one reason why I think I should give more respect to dead nettle uh, than I have been is that it is one of the very, very first flowers in the spring, even in winter. It's actually, I, I learned this term today, that it is a winter annual, which means that it germinates in the fall and then it overwinters as a small uh, seedling. And then pre- pretty much as soon as it can, it flowers. And so it's one of the very first flowers. And I'm a beekeeper. And having early flowers as early as possible so the bees have something to, to eat early in the uh, spring or even late, late winter is super valuable. So, like, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Purple Dead Nettle. Um, and, then, and then the last thing to talk about is just kind of, kind of its uses. And, yeah, like I said, it is edible. And so I feel like I've just been wasting this really abundant plant in my yard for the last three years. And I don't know why I haven't been eating it more. Um, its taste is like very subtle, and so maybe that's why. Like I've, I, in my first episode, I talked about bitter crest, which has a much sharper bite, and I really like that. But I think mixed in with other greens, I think I will start using it more. Um, it also is apparently a great source of vitamin C and iron. So like I've just been kind of, you know, uh, just not paying attention to this great source of vitamin C just growing for free in my yard. So I'm going to start eating it more like that. You can eat it raw. You can eat it cooked. Um, it does have some, you know. Uh, shown to have some medicinal properties like anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, antifungal, but I don't know as much about that. But I did read that some people drink it as tea, and so that's what I'm drinking right now. I'm drinking, I, I just pulled this today, I've never done this before, but this is a, a cup, people can't see this because it's a podcast, but I'm sh- showing Aja my cup of, uh, of dead nettle tea. I don't know if you can see the nettles, yes, the dead nettles in there. And um, it's, it's actually a, quite a nice tea. So, and it's like super abundant. So I don't, yeah, I think, I think often we like get more into the rarer plants and kind of ignore the stuff that we see all the time. And I think I'm going to try to like not do that and look for what is abundant at the time and, and, uh, and you know, give that, those plants their due. So that's, that's what I have to say about purple dead nettle or red dead nettle. Maybe I'll start calling it Archangel. Yeah, it's a really cool plant. I do. I, I never heard it being called red nettle, but I do use the dead nettle in salads because I like to add flowers and stuff to my salads in the spring because being in Indiana, we get like 11 months of winter. <laughs> but yeah, dead nettle is one of the first plants to flower, like you said, for the bees. So I really enjoy putting them in the spring salads along with the violets, which are pretty much, um, they, I guess they flower around the same time. 
So yeah, thank you so much, Steve. I got a new word. Yeah. So maybe we start the movement to start calling it Archangel in 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 the in the United States because I think it's a cool name and less confusing than Dead Nettle and maybe people will like, you know, maybe there's a part of people saying I don't want to try eating that. It's called Dead Nettle. That sounds weird. No, right. it's Archangel. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's enjoy Archangel. My country garden underneath the mountain with the dead nettles growing all around the door. Early every morning the sun rose up the mountain, setting in the sea in the evening once more. This song is Nettle Wine by the English folk singer Ralph McTell. I have to thank Aja for a very lovely conversation about American Hazelnut and Red Dead Nettle. And here at the end of the show, I want to talk about something that I've been thinking about when it comes to hazelnut, but it's also a bit related to Red Dead Nettle. And it's it's about how we as humans pay attention to certain plants and not others and, and why that is. And it's sometimes very confounding the way things have turned out. And so I'm looking at two maps here. And if you want to Google along with me, you can look this up. I'm looking at one on Wikipedia, the distribution map of American hazelnut. So where is its native range? And it's very big. It is from the East Coast over to like Oklahoma, um, Nebraska, you know, the the Dakotas, up into Canada. It, it's basically the entire like eastern half of the United States is the native range of American hazelnut. But then I was looking at a map of where do ha- are hazelnuts grown as a crop in the United States? And that place is a little tiny sliver in Oregon on the west coast of the United States. So it's nowhere near the native range of American hazelnut. It's in the small little area in Oregon. And also, those hazelnuts that are being grown are the European variety, not the American variety. And so the, the, it's an interesting question of we have this native you know, tree that grows these nuts. It's native to a large part of the country. But as from what I can tell, there's nobody growing them commercially within their native range. The only place we really have an industry for growing hazelnuts is in a small sliver of the country that is not in the native range of American hazelnut, and it's not even the American hazelnut that's being grown there. So um, why, why that's connected with dead nettle is, you know, dead nettle is like a plant, like I said, it's something that I just kind of ignored because it's there. And, and, American hazelnut is also just grows wild in these places. And I think I think particularly in our industrialized uh, society, a society that is um, based off of colonialism, we have a tendency to ignore what we have and to look for other things. And I think this is a great example. You know, if you look at these two maps, there's a tree that we have in the East Coast of the United States that is just being ignored, and then we're taking something from far away and growing it somewhere else um, because that's what the society that we have made here knows, right? And we know about that hazelnut. So I don't know where I'm really going with this, but it's just, I guess maybe the takeaway is look for those plants that you have and they're abundant. You know, the dead nettle in my yard is incredibly abundant. Um, I'm growing American hazelnuts in my garden. Um, 
I want to explore more about where American hazelnuts are growing wild. And maybe maybe there's some people actually growing them in this area. If you know about that, send me a message. I'd love to hear about somebody growing American hazelnut in a bit more of a you know commercial way. Um, but I yeah, the, the takeaway is, well, you know, enjoy the things that you have that are abundant here and now. And I think that's a better way to think about the world. Anyway, I'm feeling a little bit preachy, but it's just I it was something very curious to me is is how where American hazelnuts grow and actually where we actually grow them in the United States. So anyway, that's it for today. Thanks for thanks for listening to my little uh, stream of consciousness thoughts about American hazelnut here, and uh, talk to you on the next episode. My guest on today's episode of Rootbound was Aja Yasir. Aja is a holistic gardener and farm event space designer. You can learn more about Aja at her website, ajayasir.com. That's A-J-A-Y-A-S-I-R.com. And you should download her podcast, which is Abundant Living and Gardening. Check it out on any place that has podcasts. Rootbound is hosted by Steve Ellington. That is my name. Music by Christian Krigiskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but... If you are able to go outside, perhaps you could try your hand at making nut milk or nut cheese. That sounds like fun. Bees, they're not just for honey.